Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Break for Impact, a.k.a. the Not JD and Not Mike show. My name is Jeremy Feinstone. I'm an OG at Break for Impact. Along with me is Scott E. Wrestling, a frequent guest at Break for Impact. Welcome to the Multiverse United post-show review. We were supposed to have J.D. Oliva with us today, but due to unforeseen circumstances, he's not going to be joining us. So, Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> Brace for Impact starring, you know, not none of the brace for impact crew what's what's better than that but uh i'm happy to be here i watched the whole show just like yourself we just it just ended you know we're we're going yeah. right at this so if you're listening to this on the patreon we went right after the show um you know and it, it's kind of weird you know because the only times i've been on the show obviously is with the two hosts of this show but it's funny right. last week uh, <laughs> last week i was on here and jd's computer died so i had to do a few segments with mike so it's like I guess I'm just ready to go for any uh, anytime they're not able to uh, be here. <laughs> and uh, I I did the first show with them, a sacrifice show with the, I believe the main event with Omega and Rich Swan, and then it, it became the, the the Mike and JD show because it should be the Mike and JD show most of the time. It will be the Mike and JD show this time. It is not. But uh, I have a hand to break for impact. I do a lot of the video editing for it. Uh, I work hand in hand with those guys, and uh, I promise you all, shows in good hands. So we're here for a review of Multiverse United. What did you think, Scott? That was a fun show. I think that's I think that's my best way to look at it. Right? It's like, because <laughs> like, there was there were some like you know standout matches I thought, but nothing to like the top-notch level that you're used to with New Japan Pro Wrestling, right? It was a showcase. Yeah, it was a showcase. Like, you got a little bit of impact. You got a little bit of New Japan. My my favorite matches were actually the ones I expected to be my favorite matches. So it's not like anything jumped out. Well, actually, one match that I didn't expect to enjoy as much did jump out to me. But... Yeah, it was, it was it was a good show. It was it was a WrestleMania week show. You know, uh, half of these people are wrestling seven times in one day, like Mister Speedball. So, yeah, you know, I think uh, I think Jeff Hawkins on the Dynamite show said it best: is that there's a lot of matches and a lot of people, and you're going to find good things here and there. But there is a lot of 
not 100% effort being shown and you're just thankful you get an opportunity to see some of your favorite wrestlers and an opportunity mm-hmm. in which you wouldn't get otherwise. And that's the trade-off. And uh, we definitely got we definitely got a lot of our favorite wrestlers and uh, not all of them were able to or gave 100%, but there were there were a number of people that showed up and we're ready to leave a mark after after their magic tonight. How do you feel about getting on into this? Yeah, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Nice. There I, we go. I, I just want to, you know, as we get into the the countdown to Multiverse United, I want to I want to talk about how Gabriel Kidd, like every time he has a match, you want to talk about 100 percent effort. He gives 100 percent effort. Like mm-hmm. I I've liked him a lot. Uh, he he made a big fan out of me last year in his match with Eddie Kingston on New Japan Strong. Um, and they have that rematch coming up, and that really excites me. I know he's had some troubles, and you know he's had to take some time away from the ring, but I'm happy to see him back. And who doesn't love a little bit of Yuya Uemura? They uh, they both look great. Uh, Yuya, yummy Umi Uemura, as Mike and JD like to call him. Uh, he's got some Tanahashi hair going on right there. That was uh, he was out showing Shota Umino with that with that feathered look right there. And uh, I was here for it. Uh, I have have a confession to make. I try not to watch the excursions of Japan talent while they're away because I don't think I'm, I don't think as a New Japan uh, host, and we'll get to what we do later in in our context for all this. Um, I don't think as a New Japan host, I really should be paying attention to what they're doing on an excursion because the point of an excursion is for them to get away and then their finished product coming out to you afterwards. And that's just kind of a personal mm. preference. No, you're um, right. Let's actually go back and uh, talk about the three matches that happened on Impact tonight before the Multiverse United. Uh, so we had a live pre-show. And a live pre-show meant Tom Hannafin, Matthew Rehnquist, and... What? Wait, we, we missed something. We missed something. Yes. I, I, I okay. got to do this for Mike. I got to do this for Mike. Yes, yes, um, I'm sorry. Brian, Brian Myers defeated Jack Price on uh, BTI, and that's talking BTI, folks. Thank you for talking BTI with us. Thank you for talking BTI. I don't think this would have been the episode that we wanted it to be if we forgot that <laughs> immortal gag the immortal gag of the immortals okay so getting back to the live show it was live in that there were people manning a booth telling you to buy this fight pay-per-view they had three taped matches on this show <laughs> one of which was from august 2021 which was lance archer versus hiroshi tanahashi for the iwgp united states heavyweight championship my personal belief is this is how far they had to go back to find a strong Tanahashi win that was compelling, that made you believe that in fight this was a main event match, which it was, but that was the that was the logic. They, they needed to reinforce the strength of Tanahashi. We also had uh, Miyu Yamashita. I got. I hope I got that right. You got uh, it versus Killer Kelly. And we also had Kenta versus Josh Alexander. So we don't really need to go over the Tanahashi Lance Archer match. If you have been watching New Japan back at two years ago, Tanahashi won the U.S. title back then. Moving on, 
Let's talk about the Miu versus Killer Kelly match. Scott, let me hear your thoughts about this match. Uh, Miu Yamashita kicked her head off, and that was pretty much all she needed to do, I think, to win people over. You know, I, I actually talked to someone that was at the tapings for this because I was asking, okay, what was the respect for Yamashita? Because I don't know. I'm guessing a lot of Impact fans don't know who she is walking into it. Unless you, unless they're deep into wrestling, you know, you're probably not watching Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling to see me Yamashita. Maybe you saw her against Thunderosa that one time on AEW, but that wasn't the best uh, outlet for her. This match was pretty much just the showcase match for her. Killer Kelly just happened to be the body sacrificed. And I think that's okay. Sacrificed, by the way, Impact Pay-Per-View. So good uh, good connection there. But yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. But the skull kick, knocked out. See you later. You know, she has that killer winning look after, you know, a look that could kill. And uh, it, it set her up perfectly for the match later on on uh, Multiverse United. I liked that there was an effort to have them go toe-to-toe, but it was mm. very early on that Killer Kelly was outmatched, and they yeah. made it made sure of it. And the only time that she any got any offense or uh, the upper hand was basically capitalizing off a mistake or an error by mm. uh, Yamashita. And so it really was a showcase, and, and Kelly did her part to really define the killer instinct in in the match. So yeah. any other thoughts about that one, my friend? Um, I hope Yamashita gets a few more shots. I think uh I think she could become a fan favorite there. I know you know she seems to be wrestling everywhere all of a sudden, which is cool. She has three months here in the US, so this time. Uh but yeah it was good good uh good little showcase for her. I don't know how many Impact fans watched the live Impact show. Um, but hopefully that <laughs> got you excited for the women's match later in the night. It was super confusing, uh, just trying to figure out where and when to watch everything. I actually yeah. got a little, I got a little confused trying to find the Yuya Uemura, uh, the match between him and Gabriel Kidd. I thought it was on YouTube at first, and then it turns out it was on fight in a very archaic little section of it. It was, it was a whole thing. I found it though, yeah. and we will talk about it shortly. But first. Let's talk about the fantastic but unfortunately tragic end to Josh Alexander's reign as mm. the Impact World Champion in this frankly fantastic match versus Kenta that was taped previous and aired before this match. And there were no illusions made by Scott Demore or anyone on the live show about what had happened to Josh Alexander, but they did try to drive home the point that they thought that it was Kenta's hoverboard lock on Josh Alexander at Battle in the Valley that exacerbated the, uh, the the torn muscles that caused him to have to give up the title. So that was their effort to heat up Kenta, or not Kenta, Kushida, even more so into this feud going into the match at Rebellion with Steve Macklin, which we'll get to later. Meanwhile, let's get to the Josh Alexander match. Let me hear your thoughts on this one. Did you see it? I did not. I'm sorry, did you not. didn't. I, I remember you didn't. So I can't. I can't. I apologize. On that one. <laughs> so this was every Josh Alexander match that you have seen, but at the same time, they have treated Josh Alexander almost as like a Hogan aspect level uh, wrestler in the promotion. He goes through his opponents as if there is a threat, 
that he has to overcome. He is he and he has gone through them methodically. It did seem to me that Macklin was going to be the guy to take the title off of him. Did that have any did did you get that vibe at all as well? Did you feel like they were heating him up when you were talking to Gilbert and JD about it that they were kind of going in that direction or was or was he yeah. not quite there yet? Yeah, it, it seemed that way. It seemed Macklin kind of a long-term build to him being that top heel to take the title off of Alexander. I think they agree with me now. I, I think I think they have a good point, though, you know, J.D. and Mike, that they wish he was pushed a little differently, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. it's been like this on-and-off thing that I've noticed while either listening to the show or watching Impact that it's like, he he's trying to do all the right things as a heel to get his championship match, which is really weird, right? Because if he's a heel, wouldn't he just like demand the match and just get it like a lot sooner? Instead, he had to go win a match to do it, and that's great because to me, Steve Macklin come he comes off more like a baby face that's just playing. I thought so too. Yeah, so too. I, like when when you when you see him like that stubborn nobility, goes like a like the good aspects of Austin in him. Like he's just like an ass kicker yeah. that you, you're just, you don't want to get in his way, but they're, they're using the formula of you got to be a heel for a little while before the fans accept you and, and accept you as a baby face. And sometimes that formula isn't like a one size fits all for every, for every personality that comes through impact. And sometimes you just kind of have to pivot. And I think, I think you're right. I think they kind of sensed that, and uh, it was a little weird not to have Macklin on the show at all. Yeah, so I I couldn't figure out why because like so so I thought about this. I was like, okay, Jordan Grace and Jonathan Gresham aren't on the show because Jordan Grace is doing her bodybuilding thing this weekend. Because I was trying to figure out like why are these two top competitors of Impact nowhere to be found? I can't figure out why Steve Macklin wasn't on the show at all. There's no reason. I mean, Deanna was there. Like, you know, no reason at all. Why Why couldn't you just toss them in, like, a tag or something, right? There was the big tag with the uh, eight random folks that we just tossed into one match. We could have put him in that. Uh, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me to have your top challenger at Rebellion not doing anything. Like, okay, so you know Kushida's a challenger. If you were if you were coming into Impact for the first time tonight and you were wondering about the two challengers for the vacant world title, wouldn't you believe that Kushida was the likely guy to win this based off of everything that you've been given tonight, based off of the complete absence of one of the challengers or any any effort whatsoever to to embolden this guy in the audience's mind that this too is a contender. I feel yeah. like that's a little bit of a failure and, and an autopilot kind of like what's going, who, who's asleep at the wheel right here. Yeah. I mean, Mike's been very open about this, especially on Twitter of like how he wishes this was going differently. Right. Like once you lost Josh, it almost was like, all right, now the, now the floodgates are open to do something new instead of, what they have done is just push everything to the next pay-per-view. Like, oh, Kashida was supposed to challenge here. We'll just move him to Rebellion. And, you know, Jordan Grace was supposed to challenge on Sacrifice. We'll just push that to Rebellion, and then we'll do the it, – it just – it's it's almost like let's just go with the easiest option, like you said, rather than 
trying something new. Like, I know you can't get, like, maybe every top star. And I, going with Kushida is great, you know, Kushida is excellent. But at the same time, it's like, you can push Kushida as, like, this top competitor all you want. I have no faith that he's winning this belt. You know why? Because he doesn't work for this company. And the best of Super yeah. Juniors is coming and all things like that. It's like, I don't know how I'm supposed to believe at all that that match is supposed to go any way besides Steve Macklin winning. But maybe that's just me. I would tend to think that you're right. In a perfect world, based off of what I can see for the New Japan calendar, I'd put the belt on Tanahashi. Like, do it. That's what Mike's been saying. Give the belt to Tanahashi. (laughs) (laughs) Do it, you cowards. (laughs) If you got the option, I mean, why would you say no? Right. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm completely on board with this. Okay, so we went completely off topic. We're going to get back to it. Josh Alexander beat Kenta. He retained the title. Shortly thereafter, this taped match, he had to vacate the title. And here we are now. So that was Impact on Axis. Before we ever got to the Fight TV programming, we are now caught up live ready to talk about the graphic on the screen. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone that was listening prior or is like, ah, I was like, I was here for the multiverse United review. We are now here. We are, we are now we are reached now here. the point that you we are. Have, we we have reached the, uh, the crossroads of the multiverse and we Wait, are entering I... another door. <laughs> Seeing impact on access was the pre-show. Should I say that was impact impact on us access. Thank you for, uh, you know, like BTI. Is it like the same situation here since, you know, it's, <laughs> this is the main show tonight? Uh, Thank you for talking <laughs> Impact on Axis. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, first match up tonight. We uh, we already talked about this one. And so, let us get to the X Division Scramble. And my goodness, was this an X Division Scramble? They came out in the order of Swan, Kazarian, Knight, Connors, Rocky and Trey Miguel. And boy, was this a spot fest. We had a headlock train, five guys in a row. We had arm drags, kick drops, basically stuff just happening until Connor, Knight, and Swan were all together. Swan and Knight got some time. Connors and Swan were next. Kaz hit a DDT and hit it on everybody else. Connors got multi superplexed by four other guys, and then Frog Splash by uh, Rich Juan for good measure. Uh, after Connors hit a fantastic spear off the second rope and uh, on Kevin Knight, Trey Miguel stole the pin, retained the title, pretty much did exactly what we thought it was going to do. Spot fest, spot fest, spot fest. Was it a good spot fest, Scott? I was pretty, uh, you know, there was. I I liked the second half a lot better than I liked the first half of the match. I think that's the best way to say it. The first match was like a little too comedic for me, and that's just maybe that's my stingy preference, and that's okay. Um, I thought Kevin Knight and Clark Connors were the shining stars of this whole match, which one hundred percent might not be great if you're the impact side because you have three of your main guys running here. But uh, those two just absolutely shined. I think Clark Connors is like the perfect example of like, you give him a shot, he's going to step up every 
single time. And I think Kevin Knight's becoming that as well. Um, I never thought Trey Miguel was losing. So I think that's probably hurting the match yeah. overall for me. Right? Like, there was never like, a shot. Where I was he going to steal a pin? And, and he <laughs> stole a pin. <laughs> exactly. And I don't remember Rocky besides doing the clotheslines that he always does. So uh, that was a little unfortunate because I think Rocky's on a hell of a run uh, with the CMLL stuff right now. So I kind of want him to do more. But yeah, it was, it was a good, it was a good opener. It, it it was the high action opener. It was very fitting that this happened in the same place that PWG now runs. They were such just a guys and just a guy match, and mm. they all kind of had to get their shit in. Like I feel like everyone had ninety seconds to two minutes yep. to get like specific shit in to make them look good. And you know, Trey didn't do quite as much as he needed to because he's gonna walk away. With I don't think Trey did anything. <laughs> he did a couple of flips. He did a couple of flips. Yeah, but you yeah, know, sure. it's like you, you you've seen these matches enough that you knew that like the title wasn't gonna change on this thing. But no. you know, that that was the magic this of it. Is... Like you, you filled ten minutes. What do you got? <laughs> this was the only match that I was like, well, I guess if the title were gonna change in any of these matches, it maybe probably uh, isn't, but maybe is this one. And it's only because I was like, they like Rich Swan, I think, and Frankie Kazarian. So it's like, maybe, but otherwise, I didn't see the title switching at all the whole night. And uh, we were right. Clark Connors is definitely a guy that he's getting closer to that big win. And I feel like they've they've waited to pull the trigger on him for a while. And, like, Kevin Knight, ever since he tagged with Kushida back at the Super Junior Tag League, like, something clicked in him, and he is – he has taken it to the next level. And it, it hasn't had to do with any, like, specific match or moment. He just – he figured it out somewhere. And if you watch a match from last summer and you watch a match now, like, he's a different wrestler. And yeah. it, it, it's really great to see when it happens organically. So, thumbs up match, you know. You don't, you yeah. don't need it to be innovative to be fun. It could set the tempo for, you know, a, a brisk pay-per-view yet ahead. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This one now. <laughs> this match is... <laughs> okay, this okay. For is for the audience yeah, listening, yeah. this was Fred Rosser, Alan Coughlin, uh, Callahan and PCO versus Eddie Edwards, Joe Henry, Tom Lawler, and Kratos in a mystery vortex tag match. Why everyone was on the same team because they were. No one has really been able to figure it out, but it happened. And what were your immediate thoughts about this match, Scott? 
it exceeded my expectations. Like I don't like this was if you've ever watched like a bola, you know, Battle of Los Angeles, yes. you know, like when all the eliminated guys all tag up tag on the final night. That's what this was. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> let's put all the random random ass party match. together. Yeah. And it was an absolute blast. I mean, JR Kratos and PCO were like the highlight for some stupid reason. Uh I don't I don't remember uh Sammy Callahan doing much. Uh maybe him and Eddie were like he didn't you know, he didn't do much. No, he didn't do much. Uh, uh Fred, there, Alex Coglin, by the way. I just wanna I just want before I let you he is such a stud. Like I watched him and Moxley earlier from Bloodsport, and then I've turned this on like immediately after, and I was like, What a night for him. Like all the prospect guys, all the young lines, all the LA dojo guys, whatever you want to call them, stood out tonight. And that's a credit to them. I think they're they were hungry, right? You, you know, you talked about at the top of the show, like how many people are going to go out there and put it all into their match. Mm-hmm. The, the LA Dojo guys absolutely did. Yeah, I uh, I don't. I've seen Coughlin probably a half a dozen times live, and he's a guy that that comes out there and you feel like he's going to fall over when he hits the backstage area because he he busted his ass so hard. And a lot of those matches were. Uh, one-on-one or confrontation with J.R. Kratos. So you're going 10 minutes to the ring of Kratos, you're going to be feeling it afterwards, which I want to applaud them. They avoided really doing any confrontation with Coughlin and Kratos because they bled that well dry over the last two years. But it wasn't until they got into the ring that I was interested in PCO and Kratos facing off. But when they did, that was... That was as disappointing a confrontation as it possibly could have been. Uh, They laid in the weakest elbows and punches to each other that you possibly could see. And the match actually ended with PCO landing just a a splash. Terrifying looking moonsault. A terrifying looking moonsault. And I say that terrifying terrifying in not a good way. It was like I was terrified for both of their (laughs) health. Neither terrifying nor categorically a moonsault, but that's what it was called, and that's how the match ended. It was fun. It was fine. It was also probably the worst match on the card. And if that is the baseline for the worst match, we were in for a fun show ahead, and that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, better than expected. I think that's my best way to say it. it. Because, like, when I saw the the crew that we had, I was like, oh, okay, I don't I don't know about this one, folks. Uh, because nothing blended to me. But I thought they did a decent enough job. I mean, Kratos doing the dive over the top, that was pretty nuts. And then, like I said, Coughlin, shout out to him. But, yeah, it was, I'm pretty, it was about... I'm pretty sure all of Fight Game Media, from Paul Fontaine to Sam Shipman... Far and wide, we're trying to figure out why this match was made, and again, why? And that's that's, and no one ever figured it out. So nope. it's over, and there was no reason to have the match lineup as it was. But again, it wasn't for it being the worst match. It wasn't even that bad at all. So cutting my losses and moving on from talking about it. This was a good one. We have Moose versus Jeff Cobb. 
And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be forward on this one. Let me know here what you think about it first. Yeah. Um, I need Moose to, like, put some more impact, no pun intended, into his chops if he's going to do them. That was very much <laughs> angering me as I was. And maybe that, again, me being stingy, but, like, like Cobb will put him in the corner and smack the hell out of him, and then Moose will go, like, and I'm like, uh, all right, buddy. Like, come on. You, you're a big dude. Hit him. And they, they would get better and better as the match would go on. And it ended up being a really good match, as you'd expect, between these two. Uh, but that was, like, the one thing that stood out to me. Because, you know, you know, you talked about PCO and Kratos training the weak-ass forearms. Yeah. It's like, all right, Moose. Dude, you know <laughs> Cobb's going to bring it. You got to do the same thing. Um, Moose is an incredible athlete. Jeff Cobb's an incredible athlete. They're both huge powerhouses and the right man won in the end i love the tour of the islands i just want to give a little shout out to that move like i love uh i just love how great Cobb looks now was this match as good as jeff Cobb versus kenny omega no no but did i expect it to be as good as jeff Cobb versus kenny omega no so that's why it's okay it was a good match it was a good match the the key to the match were the feats of strength against each other from the beginning. About five minutes in, we had Jeff Cobb hit uh, Moose with a superplex off the top rope. Yeah. And then there was a story within the next five minutes that Moose was looking to do the same to Jeff Cobb. And so we went a few minutes with him trying to get him in position. Because anything that you can do, I can do better. Took him once, missed it, did it a second time, hit the hit the superplex onto Jeff Cobb, then began to take it home, chops, beat up. They did try a spot for the finish where Cobb attempted to deadlift Moose into the tour of the island, and he yeah. came very, very close before they called it off. Moose realigned himself with a kick and a spin, they hit the tour of the island and they took it home. These were two guys that knew what things weren't working with their with their big frames and whatnot, and uh, they made it look really good for the 10, 15 minutes that they were in the ring. Yeah, they. It, you're you're absolutely right. They they did exactly what I think everyone expected them to do. Yeah. Middle of the card hawk fight. What else could you ask for? Never a bad thing. I think this match was better than the advertised original match of Mickey James and Masha Klimovich. Yeah, so when, <laughs> when Masha... Okay, so... <laughs> Masha Klimovich versus Deanna Peraza versus Kizel Shaw versus Miyu Yamashita. Yeah, Your thoughts, so when, Scott? <laughs> when Mickey James was out and they put Masha in instead, I was like, oh, well, it's going to be a better match. <laughs> And I was like, that's not a shot at Mickey James, but I just like Masha and her style better. And I think Masha's like excellent anyways. And it ended up being, I really enjoyed this match up until this point. It was my favorite night. And there is bias here. I'm not going to sit here and lie and act like the media Masha bias wasn't in, but I thought they all clicked really well. I forgot how good Deanna Peraza was. I think that was my big mm-hmm. takeaway. Cause I haven't seen her wrestle in a long time. Like, let me, 
wrestle anyone that's like not on the impact roster so seeing her mix it up a little bit with miyu see her mix up with masha i don't know if i've seen her mix up with masha before i've seen her mix up with giselle and i think they have good chemistry obviously um but this was this was really good i thought everyone had a chance to stand out maybe a little less for giselle than the rest of the crew but i mean masha hit a she hit the Panama Sunrise, as I like to just simply call it, even though she didn't do the weird jump that Adam Cole does. Uh, she just went for the Canadian Destroyer. I thought Yamashita looked great. She hit really all her spots. There were a few times she looked like she was going to actually take someone's head off, which was awesome. Um, and I think going with Deanna was the right choice. I, I said this, uh, I was on the uh, Fightful Select preview for this show, and I said sometimes when you have a lot of question marks pop up regarding your top stars, right? Mickey James is hurt. Josh Alexander is hurt. You got to go to your aces of your division. True. And Deanna Perrazzo is that option. So to me, she was always the choice once this became a, okay, someone needs to move on to rebellion with that title on the line. Um, and it made sense. And I thought pinning Giselle Shaw was the right choice as well. I didn't want to see Masha get pinned again. Cause I think they've pinned sure. her way too much at impact. So I remember a break for Impact probably two or three months ago. Mike and JD were talking about Deanna Perrazzo, and they got the distinct impression that she had been kind of iced by the promotion. They had extended her contract. They believed that her contract extension had been hit for the final year, but they were just kind of had her on the roster, but weren't really do anything with her. And so we kind of got to this situation here where it's like you break the glass in case of emergency and you have a Deanna Perazzo on the roster, even if she's not the one that you're going to go with come time for the title change, she's still there and her presence is a legitimizing factor for the whole situation. So for the people who are listening and are not quite sure what's going on here mickey james may have to give up the title for the april 16th rebellion show it is still not determined this match was to determine the opponent for jordan grace at that event diona perrazzo is now that opponent if mickey james is healthy she will be added as the third entrant in the three-way and they will decide the victor there i suspect mickey james will be wrestling in that match Scott, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it's it's weird, right? Like, it's weird that... It's a rib injury, but it just... I don't know. There, there's it's, something about it that just doesn't pass the spell test, right? Yeah, it seems like it was more of, I can't wrestle this show right like yeah. sacrifice and then it was like all right we'll hold you out another week and then she'll probably be good it's it doesn't feel like it's a josh alexander like oh it's all over you're you're done you got to get stripped there's no way so we can I'm, hold this off kind of thing no like so i think it's like all right we'll we'll make the best of it we'll get pretty much our three top women's wrestlers in one match at rebellion now assuming mickey's in there mickey diana and jordan grace i mean that's their top three and probably make for a better match, right? Because we've seen her and Jordan Grace already. We've seen her and Deanna already. Put them in a trouble threat. It's a little more unique. It's interesting how motivated uh, Impact Wrestling is when they have sold-out shows, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're doing a really Pretty good job selling out their shows. 
they're doing a good job of doing that but uh they are they are building interest in the brand even if the brand is not building interest in like the fuse that's a weird like dichotomy but somehow they're managing to do it maybe it's just the power of the people that they are featuring on the shows Featuring the power of the people they're featuring on these shows, we have the Impact World Tag Team Championship featuring the Bullet Club, Aiken Bay Connection versus Aussie Open of Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis, TMDK of Shane Haste and Bad Dude Tito and Motor City Machine Guns with Alex Shelley and, oh my God, I forgot his name. Chris Saban. Chris Saban, thank you. I had it. I was so close. I went seven of eight. I'm never yeah. going to let it down. It's pretty funny that you forgot Chris Saban's name. <laughs> you know, I was just going through it, and I was freaking out that I was going to forget Shane Hayes' name of all people, and then I yeah. outsiked myself. That's basically what happened there. Uh, and Bay actually had a great interview segment uh, before this tag mm. happened. Uh, they had a little bit of a tagline that their, their match wins were going to be easy as ABC, one, two, sweet. Which honestly, kind of cool. I'm yeah. gonna give him credit for yeah. that one. That's that's a little bit of a tagline. <laughs> you know, some could say this is an all new Japan match. Just say it. Like Yeah. It's kinda all new Japan. <laughs> I mean, how many of these guys are gonna end up being in the best of the super juniors? That that was a question I was gonna pose to you of how many people on this show are gonna be in the best of the super juniors in about two months. I know uh I bet Bay and Austin are going to be over there for sure, yeah. probably in different brackets and at the A and B bracket. But uh, Mark Davis, perhaps? No, Kyle Fletcher. I can't remember which one is the smaller one, but one of them may be in there if they're not already the IWGP tag team champions. My which... guess is Kyle Fletcher's too big. <laughs> He's a big. I, I actually, now that I now that I think about it, I kind of think that they're going to be the IWGP tag team champion because that's going to be a moot point come a couple yeah. weeks, but. Uh, that's a New Japan conversation and we don't need to talk about that right now. <laughs> uh, but yes, this is an entirely New Japan match for all intents and purposes. A lot of the Impact shows have been featuring these guys, but you know, their their connection for the most part is New Japan minus Bay and Austin, who are uh, primarily the Impact contracted talent. And I believe Motor City Machine Guns have just signed a five-year contract. Five years. Yeah, they, years. they signed new deals, but they hold New Japan. But there titles. were the New Japan strong titles, and so they'll yeah. probably be defending those. Maybe kind of giving them up between Philadelphia and Washington D.C. on the fifteenth of sixteenth of April, if not a little later than that. But you know, now that they're with Impact and they got this little crossover show going, not a whole lot of reason for them to be the defending tag team champions. There, there are other people there. But getting back to this match. What a lot of fun that this was. Uh, I don't think anyone was truly shocked to see that the champions retained the title, but everybody got their opportunities. Uh, Mike Gilbert last week was talking about the fact that he had, he got the opportunity to see bad dude Tito for the first time at the uh, sacrifice review that he did for the fight game media Patreon. If you want to check that out, $5 a month. Uh Bad Tito keeps looking good when he gets the opportunity to do it. He was the most unproven talent in this in this match, and when he's gotten the opportunity to do so, he really stepped up. Uh, what were your takeaways from this match? 
my boldest takeaway, this was my favorite match of the show. It's not bold That's at all. My... Well, I mean, when you read Tanahashi, Speedball, and you read Rush and Kushida, <sighs> maybe some will say it's bold, but I thought this was excellent. It was, it was exactly what I hoped it would be. It was four great tag teams, all shining in all different ways. I mean, Bad Dude Tito and Shane Haste, like, they are the most not like they're the they're kind of a put together tag team i know they're the same faction but you know haste has worked with mikey nichols more than bad dude tito but they're really solid together now motor city machine guns they're absolute class like they're one of the best tag teams still um they've been one of the best tag teams for pretty much two decades now aussie open like tag team of 2023 baby yeah, like they might unquestionably be, be unquestionably be the best tag team in the world right now. Like I know okay. people say Young Bucks, Young Bucks, FTR. You could say that all you want. Every time the Aussie Open duo gets a big match, they don't miss and they stand out. They stood out in this match. And I think the Bullet Club duo of Chris Bay and Ace Austin, they're fantastic. Uh those two, if they're not in best of super juniors, I'm gonna be very angry. Uh because they both should be. Chris Bay wasn't in it last year. Ace Austin was. And I think Ace Austin kind of put his name on the map via that tournament. So I hope they're both oh, in it. But this this was excellent. Uh just the I, I love the way that they finished it too. Like they didn't have the cheap win like Trey Miguel did. They won, like you know, doing their own thing. They 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 cleaned up the match perfectly. It, they pinned Bad Dude Tito, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not the true. guy always going to be taking off for the foreseeable future. The most guy in the totem pole in TMDK. Uh, you're not wrong that this would be considered the the best match. There are people that came into this show being Impact fans. And they might like this for the reasons that it was very much an impact speed kind of speed run tag match, something that they would feature on their impact plus pay-per-views or, or otherwise main event of an impact on access show. Whereas the matches that we had later on were 75% or greater of a good New Japan match that you would watch on one of their shows. Like, if any one of those matches that we saw later on, the Tanahashi match, the Kenta Suzuki match, even the Leo Rush Kishida match, none of those really would have held a candle to some of the best matches that we've been seeing on the New Japan Cup or the, uh, the finish of it or even the Leo Rush versus Hiromu Takahashi match that was on last week. These were all good, but those were great. And so if you're looking at that from that lens as a New Japan fan, like you're going to look at this match and you're like, yeah, that that was the banger of the show because it delivered something that you weren't necessarily going to get in a typical New Japan show. And the things that you did get were not at the level of a typical New Japan show. And that's what I was saying at the beginning of the show. This really did feel like a showcase highlighting aspects of what was great about both brands without giving you the whole farm. Yeah. I think that's a good way of saying it. I mean, when, 
when it comes to highlighting the best of impact, I think I think the Bullet Club duo and the Motor City Machine Guns are probably what I'd consider the best of impact. So it makes sense that this was that standout match. Yeah, the kinetic energy that they feature every time that they're they got a segment or you know a match uh, is something the rest of the roster is probably looking to emulate. <laughs> what do we got next? What match do we got next? Speaking of a good match, Leo Rush and Kushida. And yes, I did say it was a good match, not a great match, because it was a good match. If you have seen some of the other stuff that Leo Rush has been doing recently, this was a B compared to some of the A-plus material he's been Mm. doing. Uh, But that's a hot take on my part. Scott, I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell people what you thought. I'm going to be that guy, and I know this is an Impact podcast, and maybe Mike will want to kill me after, but if this match happened in a New Japan ring, it would have been better. I just feel like... I just feel like it would have been that much better, and maybe, maybe that's just me, but you know, I watched Leo Rush have maybe my favorite junior heavyweight title match in years with Hiromu Takahashi last week. Like, that was fantastic. And Kushida is still a fantastic wrestler. I see him do it all the time. Um, this was definitely a step below that, maybe probably two steps below that. Still a really solid match, like really good match. I think the crowd hurt them, though, in a lot of ways. I, I, I thought they did a lot of good work. Um, but here's the thing, right? With, like, Kushida work, you know, he works the arm and stuff like that. So it's a little less like the Leo Rush-Aromo match by default because you have some limb work and stuff like that. Ah, sometimes I just want to see Leo Rush go crazy because I think Leo Rush is one of the very best uh, juniors in the world, and I think he's been showing that. It was... This was a treat to have on the card because, you know, up until yesterday, we didn't have it at all. So for that alone, I'm happy with it. But at the same time, I know they have better in them. Mm -hmm. So Leo Rush came back to New Japan at the Rumble in the Rumble on 44th Street, uh, right around Halloween in a Mystery Vortex match to rescue Yo from a beatdown from, I think, House of Torture, but I can't remember exactly who it was. He then went on to tag with Yo in the Super Junior Tag League, which got them a title shot against Catch-2-2 at Wrestle Kingdom. Leo Rush bloodied his face to high hell in that match and ended up having to take about two months off. And it wasn't until Yo had his match with Hiromu that Leo came back and he was the next guy to challenge. And this whole thing is just finally wrapped up. And it has been an absolute campaign on Leo Rush's part and a series of banger matches. And when I tell you this was his worst match in the last six months, I am not lying when I say that this was Leo Rush's worst match in the last six months. And it still wasn't a bad match whatsoever. There was a psychology in this match that was, also kind of weird because you almost knew that Leo Rush had no chance of winning it, and he should have been put in a position, especially after the amazing match he had with Hiromu Takahashi, to lose a second time in order to heat up Kushida for a title match, and he probably will not be winning, uh, although I have yet to be surprised, and I can't completely rule that out, but 
Oh, you, you shake the magic eight ball and the outlook doesn't seem likely as we've talked about previous. So you kind of created a match where Kushida was a heel to some aspect and he was doing the heel aspect work against Leo Rush because the crowd was behind Leo Rush. So the psychology was totally off. And then when Kushida finally won by brutalizing Leo into getting the hoverboard lock, he then proceeded to turn babyface back again in which they were thanking each other for such an amazing match. And yes, it's a showcase. And yes, this was one of two matches that was determining the future of the Impact World titles. But it seemed somewhat out of place and somewhat one of those things like, you know, that part you kind of say for backstage. But uh, you've done it now. Sure, whatever. Uh, I don't know if Kushida's planning to go heel. It might be fun to do that with him because – you know, freshing it up in some way, shape, or form. But this was the most heelish I've seen Kushida in a very long time. I don't know if it was a good or bad thing, but the psychology for the match was totally weird as a result. Here's how I know what kind of Kushida match I'm getting. If he's not wearing the shorts and he's wearing the trunks, it's not going to be as good. I'm going to pay attention to that in the future. I, I, I will that. call you on that in the future. <laughs> he wore he wore the trunks in WWE, so there you go. There are tells. There are tells with some of these wrestlers that you're absolutely right with these things. The gear that they come out with totally indicates the kind of match that they're going to have. Yeah, but, I'm uh, like the to- yeah, I'm like the Tony Khan uh, huge announcement, major announcement thing that doesn't change. That, I think, does actually matter when it comes to Kushida. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully I've made a compelling argument of why I thought this was a B performance when Leo Rush has lately been giving A to A plus matches. And uh, if you disagree, please email Mike Gilbert and J.D. Oliva and tweet at them and let them know your displeasure with me. Please and thank you. Moving on to this great match, Kenta and Minoru Suzuki. By far not the best match that these two have ever had with each other. By far not the best match that I two have ever had. But you don't need for it to be an amazing match. These two could be robotic with each other and have a great match. This was exactly what you thought it would be for 15 minutes of Kenta and Minoru Suzuki beating the living piss out of each other while almost doing nothing whatsoever. Yep. You got you got some uh you got some old school Kenta. You got some new school Kenta, which I don't always love. Uh, you got the usual Minoru Suzuki act where he comes to the U.S., trades forearms, trades some chops, and goes home and sends the crowd home happy. And yeah, that's, I think you. I think you really hit it. It's like they beat this. They beat the piss out of each other, and they also did nothing. That is yeah. what this match was. It was good. But- Minoru did not take the go to sleep to lose. He uh, he was rolled up with uh, feet on the rope in a somewhat schoolboy. I, he was rolled up in a way, and he got and Kenta got the feet on the rope, but it was as unclean of a pin because there is ambiguity, and I do believe that after in what's going on in New Japan right now, Minoru Suzuki and his new faction of strong style with Ren Narita and El Desperado settle their humiliating feud with House of Torture. I think that they're going to be moving on with El Fantasmo, Kenta, and Chase Owens as the next feud for the never open way six-man title. So I think leaving it open-ended without a clean pin was probably very, very deliberate. Any other thoughts? 
I hate I hate finishes like this. And I will always hate finishes like this. <laughs> so no, I'm not happy. That was like the one thing that soured me. I was like, ah, oh, I just watched this great, you know, they, they beat the hell out of each other. And then I'm like, ah. And I got bullet club stuff and I got angry. <laughs> this was as pure of a new Japan match on this card that you were going to get. There was yeah. As much as you want to say that Kenta is right now an impact talent that is working impact regularly, which he is, this is a match that they would book on New Japan tomorrow and no one would bat an eye. And they just threw it on this card and that's totally fine because sometimes you just need cards that is all New Japan on a New Japan impact card. Sometimes you need matches that are pretty much all impact on impact New Japan card, which you had with the four-way women's title. You know, so sometimes you just the showcase is all New Japan in one match. And if this was the New Japan, like, hey, this is what you get out of New Japan when you uh, when you watch New Japan, Kenta versus Minoru Suzuki, it's the kind of match you can get any night when you watch on New Japan World for ten bucks a month. I mean, that's that's a selling point right there. People know people know what you're buying when you put a match right here and say, this is this is New Japan. And we got this one, the Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Speedball Mike Bailey, the main event in lieu of the Will Ospreay versus Mike Bailey match that was originally scheduled for this show, but unfortunately due to Will Ospreay having a shoulder separation that required six to eight weeks of rehab and rehabilitation, Hiroshi Tanahashi stepped in for this match with Speedball Mike Bailey. Now, Scott, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like this was booked exactly the same way that it was supposed to go with Will Ospreay versus Mike Bailey. They just proxied Hiroshi Tanahashi and had him do his move set instead and hope that it worked with Mike Bailey, which it did, I thought, but there wasn't a whole lot of creativity beyond that with how this match was laid out. What do you think? Well... I never thought I'd say like a match with Hiroshi Tanahashi would have been would is the worst version of a match of something, but this was the worst for the worst version of what this match was supposed to be with Mr. Osprey. And that's not a shot at Tanahashi. That's not a shot at speedball, but these are two styles that really clash, right? Mm-hmm. Speedball works better with guys who can do a lot of the same things he can, but also bring a heelish side to make him the underdog. Tanahashi, you know, he's the ultimate babyface, right? He's the ace after all. So to me, it's like, okay, well, Tanahashi's Tanahashi at the age of forty-six or however old, however old he is, is a guy who you know works limbs. And right, he'll work the legs with dragon screws and stuff like that. And he, you know, he'll hit his usual moves with the high fly flow and aces high and the uh, sling, sling blade. blade. He'll all, yeah. yeah, he'll hit all those, but he's really grounded, and that's what makes Tanahashi great. But that doesn't necessarily fully connect with someone like Speedball. It was still good. I want to preface this was a very solid match. But Will Ospreay and Speedball are going to have a much better match than this because they just they collide better than I think these two did. Tanahashi did a great job, as he always does, 
because he's Tanahashi. A, 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 let me rephrase. A bad Tanahashi match is still good. And this wasn't a bad Tanahashi match. I'll say that. Um, it just, you know, this could have been better had it been Mr. Osprey instead. Uh, but credit to Tanahashi for stepping in, right? And giving them still a big main event to have because he is Hiroshi Tanahashi. And like, for example, tomorrow at Supercard of Honor against Daniel Garcia, I think he's going to have a better match because those styles clash a lot better than mm-hmm. a Mike Bailey style. So, so I have a show on Doctor Japan Pro Wrestling called Speaking of Strong Style, and this is with Stephen Conway, and it is on YouTube, much like Brace for Impact is there on YouTube, and Conway and I have a long running frame of reference throughout Hiroshi Tanahashi. And that is when we talk about Hiroshi Tanahashi matches, we try to preface whether Hiroshi Tanahashi is having a good knee day or a bad knee day. And there are days where you can tell that he is not having a good knee day. And you have to take that into account because his aura and his talent and his ability to have a match are only barely hamstrung by the fact that his knees are barely held together by tape and padding. So with that said, I think he kind of had a bad knee day tonight, but he still gave the audience the high fly flow, which he doesn't do in every match. And so you knew that the effort and he was will and he was ready to go in there and give the audience a show. Again, I think the psychology is a little out of whack, just like you were saying, because of the aura and the presentation of both Tanahashi and Mike Bailey. I will also say, I'm not a huge Mike Bailey fan. Like, he's fine, but he's missing something that is abundantly clear to me why he's not in a promotion bigger than Impact. And that's not a knock at him because being a top star in Impact is still far better of a position in the wrestling world than a number of other promotions that you could be in. And I wouldn't discount the idea of him being in the best of the super juniors and having a pretty strong run in it this year, even though I think there's about four or five guys that are native to new Japan itself that are probably in line to win that tournament this year. But if you were to bring 20 guys in, Mike Bailey should definitely be one of the guys this year that gets an opportunity to have a run in the super juniors this year, uh, I just, you, you watch him line up with Hiroshi Tanahashi and you see him as a junior heavyweight. You don't see him as a contender to the former multi IWGP world heavyweight championship. That's just it. I think it's all, I feel the need to also point out that Mike Bailey wrestled Kota Ibushi only a few hours before this match. That is pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> he well, wrestled okay. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi in the same night. So what was up with this whole Kota had a shoulder injury and he might not be able to go? What was going on with this? I like, watched the What match. level of drama fine. did we need to have about Kota Ibushi potentially not wrestling today? Why did that narrative needed to be introduced into the wrestling sphere today of all days? Why can't we just have nice things? Because Kota Ibushi said, I want to make this difficult. <laughs> because he's Kota Ibushi. He can't not have things simple. 
That's that oh. was my takeaway because I watched the match. It was really good. It was better than this match, and maybe that's me just wanting to see Kota Ibushi wrestle again. That probably has a lot to do with it. Um, I, I've seen Tanahashi wrestle plenty over the past year and a half, um, and there's never enough Tanahashi. Don't get me wrong, but seeing Kota back was great. Um, and I watched the match. Right, he hits he he hit like this deadlift German from like you know speedball was on the floor. Um, outside the ring and obushi was on the apron and he pulled him up and i was like yeah his shoulder's fine <laughs> i was like you can't do that if your shoulder hurts okay especially the way he hurt his shoulder right that left him yeah. out for so long i was like you are a liar mr obushi you are absolutely lying to me but you know what for the sake of your matches i will act like you're so happy done. to see you back <laughs> yeah, I saw exactly. I saw a ninety second or two minute clip of Bloodsport with him on speedball, and I was like, honestly, I feel like I've seen all of Bloodsport that I needed to see out of this. But with that said, I have a I have a little follow up question for you: Was there or are there any matches coming in this weekend that you need to recommend that people go out of their way to try and see and or shows matches? Anything you want to talk about that you think in Mania Week is just going to be your cup of jam or other people's or their jam? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, There's a lot of good wrestling going on that doesn't feature any of the impact in New Japan, guys. Um, which, you know, I, I just want to say that to cut away from this for a little bit. But, you know, tomorrow... Tomorrow has a lot of good wrestling, and I think Supercard of Honor obviously jumps out to a lot of people, um, which it does have New Japan guys, so I already broke the rules here. That has Aussie Open. That has Hiroshi Tanahashi, um, but it has Katsuyori Shibata, okay? how I don't think I need to plug a match more than I need to plug the fact that everyone should go watch Katsuyori Shibata because we don't get to do this all the time all that often right we're talking about kota Ibushi. we're talking about hiroshi tanahashi katsuri shibata shouldn't be wrestling right now but he is and we gotta appreciate that he's fighting wheeler yuda that should be a pretty good match um like for me that's the one that stands out to me the most um then there's wrestlemania i don't know if you've heard of it mm-hmm I think that's a pretty big deal and i think that's gonna be a really good wrestlemania to me it's looking like it might be the best WrestleMania in a long time. I'm willing to say that because there's multiple matches on each night that I'm really looking forward to. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'll get pie in my face. Maybe, you know, maybe Vince McMahon will just show up and say, yeah, I'm here to ruin the show, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think everyone should be watching WrestleMania this year because I do think it will be great. Um, And I, I I have a question to post to you before you maybe share something. Do you think now so so now that New Japan has had you know they've returned to real in Japan for the most part right cheering's back like real sure. cheering's back and we're coming off of covid and travels really a lot easier now do you think there's potential that next year they run a bigger show over WrestleMania weekend, much like they did with G1 Supercard. Because I think that's the main thing for me missing from WrestleMania week nowadays. is a true major New Japan show. They're partnering up right with Impact and Ring of Honor with these shows that are sending a few talents over. But to me, 
with the strong division, you can have a big show. And I know it's very close to Secure Genesis. I understand that. But next year, you can always move Secure Genesis back a week or something like that. I, I just feel like, because Tony Khan was asked about it today, like, is there a potential for another G1 supercar with New Japan? And I said, oh, that's interesting. I didn't really, I haven't really thought about it since it happened. And I, I, I kind of wanted to ask you that because I think the potential of them coming back and doing another huge WrestleMania week show is possible now that, you know, this was the first year we were all settled down. We're back being New Japan Pro Wrestling at its very best. So next year, maybe they can build to that. I'd still need Wrestle Dynasty or whatever that show was. <laughs> <laughs> so where are they next year? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Is yes. That... Yeah. So you're asking if it's possible that there is a super card of some type, potentially Ring of Honor yeah, and New sure. Japan in on the East Coast, Philadelphia in 2024. It seems like it would be a missed opportunity if they uh, if they passed that up. Now, when they did the super card in Madison Square Garden, the New Japan Cup winner actually got their title shot at G1 Supercard of Honor, and that is where Okada beat Jay White to regain the title stateside at Madison Square Garden. I was at that show, so I thought it was very interesting that I recollect. What a very fun memory that was and how that was the true main event over the three-way ladder match between uh, <laughs> Matt Cave Matt and Marty Cave. Squirrel, and I can't even remember who the Jay Lethal. Guys. It might have been Jay Lethal. Might have been Jay Lethal. Oh, Which man. Which both redacted. Those were the days. Yeah. I do hope, I do hope that uh, we, if we find ourselves in a situation similar to that, that somehow we find Jay Lethal back in the main event of a Ring of Honor card in 2024. It would, it would only be appropriate. But to answer your question, yes, I think it is entirely possible. Do I think it's likely? 70%, you know, mm. more than more than two-thirds likely feels like a good hedge. Uh, but it's all just predicated, you know, fuck, man, in January of 2020, we didn't know the whole world was going to shut down for three years. But if, if all things, if all things are looking good over the next uh, calendar year, Man, I sure hope so. That would be a lot of fun. Let's uh, yeah. let's get let's get a big old revolving conveyor belt door of New Japan coming back and forth. Big events, three months in every three months. You know, April you got the Ring of Honor big, you know, Worlds Collide, Supercard G One Honor. You got the Forbidden Door three in twenty twenty three. Wherever they're going to do that, you know, just keep it going, man. You know, you got yeah. the. You got the Noah Global in February. If they're going to go back to that with Kimia and uh, and Okada next year, you know you, you've got New Japan seems to be uh, setting their dance calendar with different promotions throughout the year, and it just makes wrestling feel bigger. You know, like it just like it just feels like when you had Kenny Omega with that IWGP US title defending on an AEW Dynamite against the New Japan talent. Wrestling just felt bigger in general. It felt like a worldwide tournament of wrestlers rather than regional wrestlers calling themselves worldwide, defending in specific areas, and, you know, people just know them better. This, this just feels bigger and better and more fun. Yeah. It, there feels like there's a 
appetite for New Japan more than there has been. Curiosity, I would say. Yeah, definitely a curiosity. Um, I don't think people are like totally hungry for it because there's a there's still a lot of barriers for people to casually just get into New Japan. You know, it's like only getting 10% of the programming an hour a month or an hour a week access is one thing, you know, it's like you're not getting everything you need to know to stay up to date on new Japan that way. There are a lot of people that are not going or can't afford $50 to buy a fire stick or whatever other device that you need from Amazon to get the one device that will allow you to watch it streaming that other way. And then if you want to watch it on your computer, which, you know, younger and younger people really enjoy doing that, but not everybody, you know, it's like they have to find a more consumable way to watch this product. And that's why I call it a curiosity rather than like the appetite because they haven't been able to feed people. They just haven't. Like you have to go out of your way to find this stuff. Like you have to, you have to search it out and they've made it easier than say stardom and you know the wrestle universe there are like trying to watch these other programs in japan it's like you have to be dedicated you have to like change your life in some way shape or form in order to watch these programs and that's fine because they are worth changing your life to do so but if you don't and you can't you are no worse of a wrestling fan than those that can't because it is incumbent of the company to make it available for you to watch, not a guilt of a consumer or a watcher to feel bad that the way that they're offering it to you, you can't watch it that way. I mean, that's yeah, just I, like that, that dirty logic right there. Yeah. Maybe, maybe curiosity turns into appetite officially, depending on what Forbidden Door 2 does. Maybe that's I think Forbidden Door two, and then if they are able to parlay Forbidden Door two into G one contest G one people, you know, like I was I was beating the drum for Josh Alexander to be a G one uh, person this year, and and Gilbert and like uh, Oliva, they they have argued for a long time that that New Japan does not see Josh Alexander at that level, and you know all the evidence tends to support that. But there are other guys. Macklin is a low-key dark horse person that you could bring in from Impact. I don't know if Moose would be able to hold up or PCO would be able to hold up. But, you know, Joe Hendry? I, is that a guy that... that no. <laughs> right? Like, there are, there are a handful. Absolutely not. People, but, but, you're, but the pool of people that really started that you could go with, it was Josh Alexander. And so where do you go from here with impact going to the G1? That's the kind of thing. It's like all of these, all of these cooperatives that they've done with the other companies, they need to pay that off in some way where they have one of these guys from all these promotions come in for these big events. So it feels like it's not just a one-way street where it's like New Japan's doing you guys a favor by giving you like, giving you a little bit of face time with our product and it works out for you because we want uh, a foothold in the North America properties. But is new Japan offering like premier spots on their, on their program for these people coming from the States onto the show. And I haven't seen a whole lot of that. And that's the kind of thing that ghetto is going to have to make room for. In addition to 
more women's wrestling on his program in order to <laughs> truly like satisfy. I know. And I, I kind of, I said it, I had to commit to it and move on, but there are things that new Japan has to do in order to make it more palatable, both how they're able to reach a customer and how their programming is coming across. So yeah. Does that curiosity have a chance to go for Absolutely. Do I have all the answers? Hell no. I really don't. But well, the, I think those are the key things that they could do to get on the right track. Yeah, you know, the person that has become, I think, the 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 bridge, maybe, to New Japan becoming that appetite for people again is the guy that missed tonight's show. And that's Mr. Osprey. I think... I think Mr. Osprey is that guy that gets everyone interested, no matter what you're into in pro wrestling, right? He's because... the mortar between all the bricks right now. Yes. Yeah, when 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 Tony Khan said he was supposed to be on Ring of Honor today, uh, he said that on the media call today. It was like this this guy is he is everything to wrestling right now outside of WWE. Oh, he was supposed to be on the Supercard as well and they then Yeah. Up. Yep, yep, yep. They said uh, Yeah, it does because I was well because I was wondering I was like Osprey was only going to be on one show when he came over here. Sure. I was like there's no way that was going to happen uh because he's Osprey, right? And it 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 just to me the Osprey is the what guy What do you think you would have done on the show? Have some special singles match. I just don't know what kind because he was not going to face Daniel Garcia. That couldn't have made less sense to me if you tried. <laughs> it would have been. Oh, I wonder if they would have put him in where that six man was. You know where where they had Air Fox and uh, Blake oh, Christian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just put him with, with the the Aussie guys. Open instead. Him and uh, him and Aussie Open with the because... uh, ROH six man. Yeah, because like, I, I can't. I can't think of a singles match that would have made sense. No, that that I think him, them, and Austin Open would have made sense for sure. You I know, don't know I, if they would have been able to make the dates, but uh, no, but that would have been fun. I think Austin Open could make dates. I've decided they make every date somehow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like the only. I was, I was looking at around Revolution because Revolution and New Japan Cup intersected like yeah. the beginning of the New Japan Cup was like the night, like four hours in Japan after Revolution ended. And so Aussie Open were advertised for a number of dates with AEW, teasing that they might be in these tag matches here, there, everywhere, potentially for Revolution. And I was like, I hate to I hate to pour water on this one, but New Japan's already announced all their cards and Aussie Open's already due to be in the thing. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry to be a little bit too in the know on New Japan, but I am in the know on New Japan and this is not going to work out for you guys. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the only time uh, Aussie Open couldn't make a date that people wanted. <laughs> like yeah. they're on, right? Like this, this I, I, I realized this tonight. They're challenging for the Impact, Ring of Honor, and IWGP tag titles all within... 10 days yeah they're the new ftr they are except they don't get to win <laughs> they don't get to well, win i think i think that i think they're tired of changing very very i hope soon. so uh, i hope so because jd on the show 
has a great line for them. They're the best job or tag team in professional wrestling. I said, that hurts because they never get to win anything. But let's change that. Dead to me now. Dead to me. Well, because they were, they were getting You're going to have to break for impact from my fist after that disrespect. <laughs> they, they were getting pinned on impact, like, consistently at one point, I'm pretty sure. When they, when they came in late last year or during last year, it's like, the Aussie Open schedule is the weirdest thing ever, right? Because it's like, oh, we're not signed, and now we're booked on every wrestling show in existence. It's like, okay. If they win those IWGP tag titles, we're all good. We're all good. There were a lot of people around last summer that decided they were going to invest a lot of stock into Aussie Open because they were the New Japan Strong Tag Team Champions for about a month and a half. And they unceremoniously gave up the titles in like a four-way out of nowhere before that they went into the World Tag League for New Japan. And ever since then, you're just watching it like, when are they winning the title? Just like... Let's, let's dispense with all the pretense here. Let's just move on from, you know, the organic building. Just belt the fuckers. Like, these are the guys <laughs> for 2023. And yeah. it's like, are we doing it now? And they're heels. Like, you're not supposed to be wanting them to win the titles. You're just supposed to be upset when they take the title from Bishamon, it, presumably at Sakura Genesis in a couple of weeks. But everybody just sees how good they are. And after that New New Japan Cup performance by the two of them, where they basically outkicked the coverage anyone had of them going into the cup and out of it, it's like, yeah, that stock is paying dividends right now. Invest more. Like, this is... I, I, I will beat the drum over and over and over again. This is the tag team of 2023. And they will win almost every award, if not... Uh, the award of these matches. So, whew, I'm off my soapbox on that one. They're off to a I good have, start. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're four That's months good. in. We're not even at a start. We're at the middle point of this year at this point. We are we are underway. So, I am, I'm personally looking forward to both nights of WrestleMania. I have no idea the NXT card other than Braun Breaker and Carmelo Hayes is probably going to be a lot of fun as a match. You could flip a coin to see who wins that one. Uh, I'm Lee's going to be watching. Like... Who's that? Dragon Lee Day Dragon Lee? on that show. Yeah. Is he in the ladder match for the, uh, for the Wesley, Wesley's cousin Dragon Lee? So, so I've lear- I learned yesterday that that is actually not a ladder match. It is oh. just a match. <laughs> it's just a five way. Why is why why is it just a match? Because the women's title match is a ladder match instead, which is odd. And they I do no that all the time, on. though. Like they do two ladder matches. And they do two every. Okay, sure. I'm okay. I'm okay they, that because the women's match is- needs that. The the women's match that does not have the current. NXT champion in it. It does now, actually. Mo- it does. Yeah. They, they that added. makes sense. <laughs> okay. This was a taped segment from a taped show that they added post-edit that I did yeah. not know about. Okay. Well, as we can tell, we're paying a whole lot of attention to NXT. I will tell you, I am impressed with uh, the build of Camaro Hayes and Braun Breaker. That one is probably going to be a fantastic match. Uh, I am going to watch Supercard of Honor tomorrow 
Uh, I'm going to catch that one live in addition to SmackDown because that is basically WrestleMania 0.5 before WrestleMania Night 1 with the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, which I expect Bobby Lashley to unceremoniously win as a make good for this entire Bray Wyatt disaster that we are calling ambiguously something. Who knows? Uh, I'm not catching any of the GCW stuff, the collective. I did not catch Bloodsport. I am unfortunately a married man at the age of 42 with other obligations. And so making time for Impact and Multiverse was about the extent of what I was able to pull off for this many a weekend and recording and reviewing. And so that's why I was so lucky to have you with me. <laughs> well, I'm 24. So I am watching, I, I have learned, I'm watching at least one match from like 19 shows. <laughs> I don't know if someone ironically or unironically told us that there were 75 shows this weekend in the Discord. Well, Circle 6 has like 75. And does anyone know what Circle 6 is? Because I saw a picture of it. It was an empty arena, pretty much. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know what you're talking about, so I'm just going to smile and nod because I don't, well, I don't pay attention to, to the Indies. <laughs> this, I don't either. I don't either, but I saw a picture yeah. of it. I was like, oh, no. Uh, oh, no, that's bad. And, like, Zachary Wentz is the only reason. Cause Zachary Wentz is the former um, Nash Carter from MSK mm. back in NXT. Got it, he, got it, got he, it. He wrestles there, and that's the only reason I've ever heard of them. I will use this opportunity to talk about the people on our Fight Game Media YouTube channel that will be talking all the indie shows this weekend, and that's Sam Shipman and Mel Gray from the Power Bomb Show, who will be going live multiple times this weekend. Check our Fight Game Media YouTube channel for that as they recap all the shows that they're watching. And Sam Shipman, my friend, is a machine. She will be watching a lot of shows, and if you want the lowdown on what happened on all these shows, on all the things that you will not have time to watch, I highly recommend checking out Powerbomb shows. All the shows that they have this weekend catching you up to date. Scott, is there anything else that we want to cover tonight after we uh, take this home? You got anything else for you? Social media plugs? What do you got? You got so much. I'm ready for it. All right. Uh, follow me at Scott E. Wrestling on Twitter. Check out my show here on the Patreon, uh, Five Star Joshi Show. I think I'm going to be doing an extra bonus show talking about all the Joshi in WrestleMania week next week um, to kind of break away and give a little extra WrestleMania content because I couldn't think of anything else to give from my end of the bargain here. Uh, but I'll be doing that. Uh, you can check out a lot of my content at Fightful. Dot com. I think most people that have listened to this have heard of Fightful by now. Uh, I, I have some interviews up there with Mimi Mashta, Maki Ito, Billy Starks, and then I have some interviews coming out soon um, that I can't say yet because I don't know when they're getting released, but they're done. Ooh. They're done, Ooh. so that's fun. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, you're making uh, a name for yourself in this wrestling community. It's you're it's, doing the work, my friend. It's it's tiring. It's almost like I, I'm sitting here at 3 a.m., folks. I want everyone to know that. I I'm as committed as can be. Dedicated uh, to the craft. Yeah, yeah. So uh yeah, 
check me out at all those places. Uh, the easiest way to see all my content, follow me on Twitter. That is that is the best place to be. You know, because what you know what I'll be doing all week? I'll be watching wrestling because it's the biggest wrestling week of the year here in the U.S. Uh, I won't say biggest wrestling year in the world because Japan gets crazy uh, during Wrestle Kingdom season, but. This is this is the biggest wrestling event, uh, biggest wrestling week of the year for the U.S. So I'm enjoying every bit of it. Absolutely. Okay, so one, two more programming notes, and we're going to wrap this up here tonight. I believe that there's also a Dynamite show with Paul Fontaine that is going to uh, review the Ring of Honor, Supercard of Honor 2023 that will drop sometime this weekend. Uh, And as for this show, Brace for Impact, Brace for Impact will be going dark next week. There will be no episode. The following week, Mike Gilbert and J.D. Oliva will be back in these two chairs on their camera lenses in their homes talking about Brace for Impact. But there will be a slight repackaging. Brace for Impact will become a Patreon-only content, but Mike and J.D. will be also premiering the Mike and J.D. show, which will cover news and events surrounding all pro wrestling that they choose to cover. That will be the free show on YouTube. The Brace for Impact will become Patreon content, and that will happen two weeks from tonight. Everybody, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Scott, thank you for joining us here tonight. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.